I've always said that I think the ampersand allows us to move on to this very important model called post-dramatic growth because it, um, it embraces both. We want to know that we can grow through hard things and we also need to embrace the devastation or the distress of hard things as well. Both of those are very important, I think, if we're going to be a thriving person as we move forward. If we just look at growth, we might miss the pain. And if we just look at pain, we might miss the growth. So the ampersand really encourages us to look at both. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We have a very special presentation for you today as we're going to share Debbie Laser's presentation together with Tammy Gustafson from the uh, Betrayal Healing Conference. Uh, the 2022 conference uh, featured Debbie as one of the featured speakers. We'd like to share that presentation with you today and uh, we think you're going to benefit greatly as Debbie and Tammy Gustafson uh, and Tammy, by the way, is a coach, counselor, and speaker, as well as the founder of Betrayal Healing. Uh, they're going to talk about post-traumatic growth for relationally betrayed women. Here now is Debbie Laser and Tammy Gustafson. So, Debbie, many of our listeners will know you from Shattered Vows in particular, but for those who don't, will you share a little bit about yourself and, and more about what you do? Mm-hmm. Well, it was over 30 years ago um, when I was fairly young and 15 years into my marriage with Mark, we had three small children, that the discovery of his sexual addiction came out. And that led to um, some terrific help at the time. And Mm. when you think about 30 years ago, there really wasn't a lot of counselors or pastors trained in this field. It was fairly early on. And so I do believe there was probably a purpose going on even back Mm. then that we received such unusually great help at the time. Mark went to an inpatient treatment center that was started by Dr. Patrick Carnes here Mm. in the Minneapolis area. Um, And he was there for 30 days and got a very solid start to his recovery journey. Um, In the meantime, I was also invited into Family Week there, which introduced me to counseling concepts and talking about things I had never talked about before in my life. Um, And I have to say, while it was uncomfortable at first, it was also very eye-opening and to learn about addiction, to learn some of those basic things about I didn't cause this in Mark and I couldn't control it or um, cure it for him. And those were some really important things along with many others that I learned during that whole week. I was at family week with him. When we left there, we were directed to our own help locally. And again, we got connected with an amazing therapist and her husband um, just 20 minutes from where we lived. And, um, you know, it was, as again, so unlikely that someone knew so much about what we were going through and handled our situation so well. We both just started to grow very quickly in that. And, um, you know, we had 
we each were in, involved in therapy groups and in individual counseling, couples group and couples counseling. It was almost a full-time job for about the eight, first 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. But I would say it led me to um, love who I was becoming and loved what I was learning. And I think I always had a bent for psychology. I was always reading self-help books in college. And um, so it, it didn't surprise me that even though this was Mark's issue, as I always said, that I I was um, okay after a bit of realizing, you know, they, they were there to try to support me. And um, I wasn't there to be blamed or ashamed about what Mark was doing. And it was a wonderful way to start. So from that, um, fast forward and any number of years, I went back to graduate school myself. And um, Mark was already working in the field as a pastoral counselor. And he eventually returned to focus um, strictly on sexual addiction for men. And uh, I went back to school, got my master's degree in counseling, and then joined him in our counseling practice together. So um, we enjoyed all those years. And you know, as life went on, there were other traumatic things that happened with three kids, of course, going through stages of life, um, parents going through things and whatsoever that um, life has its troubles, as we're reminded, you know, none of us live without them. And we all face trauma of certain kinds in various times of our life. And so um, when Mark passed away in 2019, I, I realized that I, I was facing really the, the most traumatic event of my, my life, for sure, hands down. Yeah. And what I realized was that all the things I had learned along the way, starting with the discovery of sexual addiction in our relationship, were serving me well to be able to manage the devastation of losing Mark. And um, I fortunately had a book contract in hand to write about these things. And um, I realized that what was working for my earlier journey through sexual addiction was really beginning to work well for me too in, in my grieving process of losing Mark. Mm-hmm. Also in graduate school, I was introduced to um, some new terms, one of which was post-traumatic growth. And when I fell into that and had to make a, a decision about my topic for my thesis, I knew that I had landed on something that was very near and dear to my heart. Um, I didn't know a lot about it, but the more I read and the more research projects I found, I realized that this was my story too. I, I knew I had grown tremendously through my journey. And I wanted to study more of that, which I did over the next year, wrote my thesis on that, and then eventually went on to work with a team of researchers from Duquesne University who oversaw my research project. Since I wasn't a PhD student at the time, I needed that kind of support. So that was the project that led to my my, um, research project called Post-Traumatic Growth in Relationally Betrayed Women. So, Tabby, why don't you explain a little bit about what post-traumatic growth is? Because I think it's, man, it's such an important topic, especially mm-hmm. for women who are far into the healing process. So if you mm-hmm. can explain more about what it is and then also what what did you find in your research? Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, post-traumatic growth is a clinical word that basically <laughs> tells us that um, we can find positive outcomes from very mm-hmm. traumatic life events. And really, it was back in the 1980s when there was a a lot of um, 
looking into various traumatic life events that people were facing, like uh, war veterans, um, terminal illness, bereavement of some kind, natural disasters. Of course, we're seeing those kinds of things every week, it seems like, anymore. Um, but as they began to look at those things and were interested in looking at the meaning of suffering in people's lives, there were two researchers by the name of Tadeshi and Calhoun from the University of North Carolina that created an assessment tool so when they went out and looked at these traumatic life events, they could actually start assessing if there was some truth that people actually grew out of things that were hard and eventually found meaning out of them. So this tool called the Post-Traumatic Growth Inventory was created in 1996. Um, they had studied many, many um, events, as I was saying, that were traumatic, but my research was the first to look at betrayed women and to use this research and this assessment tool to do that. So it was very exciting. They were excited for me to study that in this field because it was the first time, really, that that research had been done. Oh, I love that you took that on because I think that mm -hmm. is so great. So what, yeah. what were some of the things that came out of your research? Well, I asked many questions. It was actually a half an hour survey of many questions, I think over 30, um, some of which were just uh, asking about people, the women who came. It was, again, women who had been betrayed by a male who had been unfaithful in their relationship. And um, what we found in general was that the, the growth that they had found in all these other traumatic life events was true in our research as well. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that when people have resources, in other words, traumatic events don't just lead to growth over time. We learned that, that just waiting for things to get better was not the solution to finding good things out of something hard. Mm -hmm. But with resources, with the right kind of help, which is interesting, isn't it, that I identified that in my own life early on. I had really, Mark and I had really good help when we entered um, that devastation in our life, and there were lots of consequences, but with the help of our good resources, and it turns out they were very consistent with the kind of resources even we were looking at, and also Tadeshi and Calhoun had looked at in terms of their traumatic events. But with resources, um, what they found, and we did too, was that with some time, we're not saying right out of the gate, but usually within about a year or two, people were starting to see significant changes in their own life. What they found, and we did as well, was that these changes were in these significant areas. One is that you tended to um, accept the fact that you were becoming um, a better person or mm -hmm. more independent or resourceful person yourself. Uh, second was that your relationships were getting richer in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, third is that your spiritual life was growing as well. Um, also that there were new possibilities opening up in your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these were all being seen in our study as well. And that, you know, the the priorities in your life were also changing after you had gone through something really difficult. So what was exciting is we were seeing all of that kind of growth with the women that we studied as well. 
And because of that, it has left me with the same hope that I have had in my own life, which I know is available as I work with other women, is we can face the trauma of very hard things and go through grieving process with women and help them to know what that is all about. And we can also remind them that anything that's difficult has this potential of growing them up in some new ways. So Mm. at our center, we use the ampersand a lot, you know, the and symbol. Um, I should, can I show you one? Yes, please. (laughs) Right here. Oh, sparkly. I love it. I have sparkly. I have ampersand. We have ampersands (laughs) all over our counseling center. Um, But the ampersand is simply about accepting the truth that um, real truth can be complicated. It's not usually just black or white. And I think with some of the models that were trying to help betray women previously, they became a little black and white. One of them, um, which we have heard is called the addiction model, tended to want to look at growth for for women who had worked through, or men at the time too, um, betrayal issues in their life. And um, it was true that back in the 80s, which is when Mark and I went through this journey, There was a lot of emphasis on, hey, I think you might have just as many issues as your husband. Mm -hmm. Um, We find through our research that wives of betrayed wives have histories that are very similar to their husbands in terms of physical Mm -hmm. abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse. And therefore, perhaps you have things to work on, too. And, of course, codependency was a big issue back then. Books written by Melody Beatty were prevalent and... I think sometimes it was a little frightening to think when we were so devastated by what had happened in our own lives that we were now being looked upon as having a lot of work to do ourselves. And I remember thinking, hey, buddy, you know, my life has just been destroyed. Um, Don't tell me about what I need to work on here. Amen. Um, What's true Mm -hmm. is eventually I did see how many possibilities there were for me to change if I became a gentle observer of my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same way, we've had a lot of models looking at the trauma of betrayal and unfaithfulness, and that's important too. And I think we maybe swung to the other side of making sure we don't miss looking at the pain that um, betrayal creates in a person like, person's life because that is very true. Um, I've always said, though, that I think the ampersand allows us to move on to this very important model called post-traumatic growth because it, um, it embraces both. We want to know that we can grow through hard things, and we also need to embrace the devastation or the distress of hard things as well. Both of those are very important, I think, if we're going to be a thriving person as we move forward. If we just look at growth, we might miss the pain. And if we just look at pain, we might miss the growth. So the ampersand really encourages us to look at both. That's beautiful because I think there does have to be both, right? The Mm -hmm. validation has to be there, but we need hope. We need hope that there's the other side, that there's good life ahead, as I like to say. So I want to go back to what you said. I've been taking notes. I hope everybody is because this is so much good (laughs) stuff. So what I heard you say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, was that growth is possible, but it's not a given. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and that for growth to happen after betrayal, we're getting specific here for betrayal, for growth to happen after betrayal, you mentioned that uh, there needs to be resources and certain types of resources. Can you right. be a little bit more specific as to what you were talking about? I'm assuming you're meaning good counseling and whatnot, but I'd love for you to kind of fill in my gaps there. Yes, actually the ones that came out in our research project and were true also for Tedeschi and Calhoun and many other researches, research projects for traumatic life events, um, community and support were a very mm. important aspect of this, which I think is really interesting for us to think about those who are listening who might be counselors or pastors, is that it's really important not to try to take on a client all by ourselves and think that that will be enough for them to heal. Mm. Finding community, and, and I think we definitely know this in our, in our counseling center here, we used to say our counseling groups are so helpful to you in your process. Now we say counseling groups are essential to your well-being. And um, we most, most always hear from our clients who are part of groups for a time that uh, life, their life really changed once they became part of a group of safe women for women, men for men. Mm -hmm. um, some of these could be support groups, although I, you know, we're huge advocates of at some point having um, professionally led groups will allow you to look at things in a deeper way. Um, mm -hmm. Support is very helpful in terms of helping you change behaviors um, for men perhaps to become sober. I think counseling groups can help you look deeper into the why, the root causes, your past, um, your own patterns in life, what you want to change about who you are, which contributes to the kind of growth that I'm talking about. So that's one component. Another one would be living in truth. Uh, in other words, disclosure of truth in the relationship. And this is why we're such huge advocates of full disclosure, for instance, with the couples we work with here. We have mm -hmm. a process for that. It's not just kind of, as I called it in Shattered Vows, the installment plan where, you know, you get a little bit of information this week and then maybe in a few weeks later you get a little more and then a little more. I mean, we understand why installment disclosures happen. Um, however, we also know that they are extremely painful to the one receiving information that way. And so we have a process of allowing a spouse who's betrayed to offer information to a spouse through a timeline that they create with the help of a professional so that they're talking about all the elements of truth that, in our opinion, need to be shared. Um, so disclosure of truth is what we believe sets a new foundation in a relationship to start knowing what kind of boundaries need to be set there for the person who betrayed, uh, what kind of boundaries help create safety for the spouse, um, what kinds of things they need to avoid, um, you know, what is their vision for how they will protect their marriage, you know, all kinds of things come out of that, as well as clearing up the, the reality of a spouse who's lived with a lot of lying and hiding through the years. Um, living with that creates a lot of craziness in anyone's brain. I would have to say, it's my personal opinion, by the way, that <laughs> living without truth um, can create a lot of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. and, um, I, I believe we don't even realize how 
when that happens, and, and, you know, truthfully, we all do some of that with others, and we have all received that, and sometimes way more than others, especially in betrayal situations. But it's so important to build trust with another person, to believe that your goal with one another is to be truthful in all things. Another element, a really important (laughs) element of healing and finding growth is, in our world, what we would call cognitive restructuring, or maybe more um, more friendly might be to say it's restructuring what we believe. Another really interesting fact that came out of our research was that these, these shattered belief systems or the shattered core beliefs that we have about a situation we have just moved through is really what creates the pain in us, which is mm-hmm. a really interesting thing to think about. And it also describes, I think, why some people have more trauma or more reactions, more symptoms of a traumatic life experience than others do, perhaps going through a very similar traumatic situation. Can you give an example of that? Yes. Um, An example might be someone who, um, for instance, finds out for the first time at year 10 and 15 in their marriage that their husband's been unfaithful the whole marriage. Um, oftentimes the beliefs, the core beliefs that are coming out at that time might sound something like, uh, I don't even know who you are. I'll never trust you again. You've ruined my life. Um, you're a horrible person, you know, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Now that same person who finds out about that may have before her marriage, um, been told by her husband that he struggled with an addiction but he has gotten help and he's doing really well. So she enters into the marriage knowing there's been a history of that, for instance. She thought it was taken care of, as did he, only to find out 10 or 15 years later that it it has come out that that hasn't been the case. She already enters that situation with probably some different beliefs. I would think one of them is, you know, I didn't cause that, which might be one that was part of the other situation. Most Mm -hmm. women do think that in the beginning, that there is something wrong about me. I'm not enough in this situation, in our marriage and relationship to prevent this. Um, Someone who has known about someone's addiction very early on in life or before marriage may not think that. They may also have some different perceptions of this person, knowing he struggled, knowing he got help and he fell again. Maybe there's a little more compassion there. I don't know. Maybe she's um, had her own addiction to, say, alcohol, been through her own counseling, and she understands a lot about addiction and how it works. So she knows it's possible to change things around. So her belief systems might be very different, and therefore her pain and reaction to it will also be different. Mm. Was that a good enough example? Yeah, yeah, I do. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that that helps. That kind of explains how different people's perspectives coming in could be different. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think that was found also in all these other traumatic life events that um, depending on someone's faith, for instance, depending on how many times they have been in a traumatic situation and maybe recovered or found themselves to be resilient, they gain confidence that, well, this is another one and I will too get through this. So there are many factors that determine why one person perhaps – Uh, experiences a traumatic life experience with way more pain and way more symptoms than another. 
in our research, we found that about half of the women um, have experienced some kinds of post-traumatic symptoms. That doesn't mean they were diagnosed with PTSD. But of those 50% or so, only half of those even sought help for those symptoms. Hmm. So that's just interesting that there, there was so much diversity. And even the fact that not all of them would have claimed symptoms that would have been, even been considered post-traumatic stress. So, um, again, there, it's just interesting to look at this idea that our belief systems have a lot to do with where we will start out once something really traumatic happens to us. Mm-hmm. So that was another element in terms of resources, getting someone to help you articulate what you were believing maybe at the time of the trauma and over time and with help and hearing others move through things, are things changing? Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people ask me regularly, Do you, did you ever get to a place where you could trust Mark? You know, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure because of that core belief that most of us have, I'll never trust him again. Um, it's it's interesting that I I would say, you know, yes, I do. You know, mm-hmm. to be honest, there there were many years of my life where that really wasn't an issue anymore. Now, were there other things like could I trust him to kind of open the mail because that wasn't his deal? Um, you know, not, not not it wasn't a blanket sort of thing, but in mm-hmm. terms of sexual acting out, yes, I did. We we definitely reached that place in our own healing journeys, but that wasn't an issue for me. Now, I also know we're human beings. Any of us can fall at any time. And so it's important to remember that nothing is a guarantee for the rest of our life. And yeah. perhaps that's part of our faith journey and growth in all of this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the last elements of resources was having help with spirituality and hope. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that maybe you you will learn to surrender? And when you do, um, surrendering doesn't mean giving up. It means giving over to something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And there are many times in this journey when we try as hard as we can to get something we need, whether it's information or, you know, the amount of time our husband's spending in recovery or reading books or going to church, whatever. Um, (laughs) And a lot of times it just doesn't happen. And, you know, if we continue to try to shape and mold somebody else's life against their will, we all know that really does not work. Uh And so again, the resource, I think, is knowing when we do what we can do and then also knowing when we surrender and have hope in something, someone, for those of us in a faith journey, God perhaps, who will then step in and perhaps lead us or help us to know what our next step is when we can't do maybe what we want. (laughs) And I think that's such an important process, but I think that in and of itself is a huge healing process, right? For those who come from a faith background, I haven't seen many who haven't had a real crisis of faith uh, yes. going through this. And so, but, but I, I love how you highlight that of that. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, like lean into that. That's mm-hmm. an avenue of healing and that's going to be, it has the potential of being a source of strength yes. and hope. So I like I that. Think, you know, I, I know the whole audience may not be coming from a faith-based background. For those that are, I would say that um, uh, one of the greatest things I know I've experienced growth-wise is that idea of what it means to depend on God. Mm-hmm. And, 
in the Christian faith, you know, it's one of the things we're most wanted to do. God wants us to depend on him, but we are such self-sufficient, independent human beings that I think, um, and in some ways in our culture, that is rewarded to be that way. And I'm not saying that it's, it's an ampersand. It's good to be strong and independent and be able to do a lot of things for yourself. And there's an important time to know when, um, again, what I am doing is not enough or it's not getting me where I want. What, what is it you want for me, God, that definitely is your plan and not mine? And when mm-hmm. do I need to surrender to that? I think there is nothing more than in a time of great pain and trauma do we have the opportunity to really live out our faith rather than just talking about it from an intellectual place, which I find is the case with most women I work with and including myself back when and why more and more of working through traumatic situations and including this last one with Mark's passing, um, I am getting much more of an idea of what that really means. Mm-hmm. Great. Awesome. So you mentioned four areas of growth, mm-hmm. like after betrayal, like if some of these yes. resources are in place. Do, now, let me ask quickly, Do does every single one of those resources need to be in place? Because obviously there's going to be a lot of women who are facing the fact that they will never get the truth in full disclosure from their husband. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if not all of those are in place or some might, some might not lean into spirituality and God. Mm-hmm. So, so... I'm assuming growth can still happen. Oh, definitely. And, you know, there are lots of different ways that we grow in terms of changing our character, um, becoming a safer person in our life. Mm. I always say to my clients, none of us have totally reached that place where we are totally safe all the time. And we, we are never squeaky clean safe. We all have a little bit of something we could work on. And what is cool is the more we work on being a safe person, the greater people will get closer to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a little bit like um, a porcupine when we're kind of harsh and, you know, critical or we're shaming or blaming or loud or whatever we are. Uh, people find their distance with us because it's not all that safe to get that close. And that's understandable. So if what we really want is to grow our intimacy in all of our relationships, kids, friends, husbands, wherever, lawyers, um, we can keep working on what it means to be safe because safe people are where others want to come close and be by you. That's always, uh, and we talk a lot about what contributes to that. Um, I think patience is another big area. Um, Learning how to share vulnerably yourself. I realize that, Mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of women, I think they think they're vulnerable because they maybe talk a lot with people and share life with friends. But perhaps when you really think about what you're sharing about, it's not all that vulnerable. It may be kids. It may be house decor. It may be the next vacation, maybe the gifts you're buying for Christmas, whatever. But when we talk about being vulnerable, we talk about knowing and sharing what we're feeling. We're especially sharing what our perceptions are in our head and our beliefs about ourselves and others, because this whole area is one that we often 
share as if we know the truth about it. In other words, we, we pump out reasonable statements about things, but they're not necessarily just about what I believe and what I think, because that may not be what you think and what you believe. How can we live peaceably together if one has to be right and one has to be wrong? So learning how to embrace these differences and just own my life and be vulnerable about what I believe and what I think um, is a really big piece of becoming a safer person. Mm-hmm. Learning how to ask for our needs is another really big part of being a safe person. You know, we have sometimes these beliefs in our marriages, especially that because I've lived with you so long, you should know what I need. You know, I shouldn't have to ask for it. And <laughs> should read like, my mind. We, should, we expect each other to be mind readers, and, you know, it just doesn't work very well that way. So um, learning how to do that for most people is not a given. A lot of people, first of all, don't even feel like they should have needs. Uh, they've been maybe taught along the way that that's selfish. And, um, you know, if they have needs, they really ought to focus on helping other people and forget about their own. But that is not realistic in this world we live in. And um, you'll find, perhaps, if you're around other people, those that can ask for their needs and just state them um, and can be okay if sometimes you fill them and sometimes you don't, uh, are so much easier to be around. You know, Mm. you're just safer when you can do Mm -hmm. that. So um, understanding those kinds of things, and anyone can learn those kinds of things. And I think my personal belief is that when we're in pain, I believe some of the worst parts of who we are come out in terms of how we react to things, how we speak, how we treat people. We get more irritable. Um, We're perhaps not taking good self-care of our own bodies. And um, I think it is a time to, if we want to, to become a very gentle observer of who we are. Because those are times when we maybe could say, gosh, I can't even believe I talk like that. You know, I've never thought that was who I was. And yet when we're in pain, those places inside of us that are in us, they maybe just don't come out when life's rocking and rolling along. Um, (laughs) They just remind us they're in there. And, you know, it'll be nice if we can be consistently who we are in good times, in hard times, in public and in private. And we're a consistently good person, the person we long to be. Those are the kinds of things I really like to help women with in their journey. And you're right, it it does not necessarily hinge on your husband changing, acknowledging what he's done to you. It doesn't hinge on you knowing all the truth, nothing. I mean, that is available to anybody who wants to live well. um, Despite the trauma they've been in. I think that's such an encouraging word. And I'm curious, Debbie, was there anything particularly surprising to you in the research that you've done for women who have been betrayed? Yeah, you know, the most surprising thing that came out, because we really weren't even looking for it, was this correlation between shattered beliefs, core beliefs in you, and the potential for your growth. And what we Mm. found was there was all kinds of positive correlations between several of these things, which I'll just kind of dumb it all down to say what we found was that the more shattering or the more difficult your trauma experience was, the more potential you had for greater growth. Wow. 
Isn't that amazing? That's you know, huge. We've, we've had people sit in our office and sometimes talk about their spouse and say, well, you know what? He grew up in such a horrible family and he mm -hmm. was abused in this way. And this kind of like, I don't expect that he'll be able to heal all that much. This, this research definitely negates that whole idea. And it negates the idea because my traumatic experience was so horrendous or what my husband did was so bad that I will never heal from that. Yeah. And I love to be able to give that hope to women I'm working mm. with is that is not what we're finding in research. Mm. What we're finding is actually that person is the one that has the potential with resources to grow the most. That is so amazing, isn't it? <laughs> oh my gosh. That just, yes. Yeah. What an and encouragement. You know what? That is absolutely my anecdotal um, experience with women I work with here. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, when you work with clients, what are some things that are really important for you to communicate to the wives that you work with? What are those messages that are important for you to communicate? Well, there's so many things, Tammy, and I guess maybe you're talking about when I first meet them, perhaps. Is, sure. Is yeah. Maybe when you're are, setting I mean, the stage. When we're or just giving the them hope for growth. Yeah. Well, I always want to hear their story, hear their pain, acknowledge that for sure. It's mm -hmm. understandable, no matter what the behavior has been from their husband, that they would be in the kind of emotional pain that they're in. Yeah. And that I believe that having support, you know, maybe not only just in counseling, but eventually with other women who know this journey maybe a little further along to give them some of the hope and the experience of what it looks like in six months or a year um, is going to be very hopeful. We lay out kind of a plan for, in my mind, what is most going to be most helpful to her and her spouse if he's willing to get help. Um, we talk about self-care. And one of the things I love to talk about is what disturbs your peace the most right now? Mm. Because I believe as we can focus on that question, it helps us to move towards just our next right step. I am, I am very much a believer that trying to stay in the present is going to be the most helpful way to move through something traumatic. Because again, those belief systems we have rolling around in our head get us into what we around here call future tripping. We're, I'm like, well, if this goes on, then what's going to happen to my kids? And what, where are they going to be when they get married someday? And will I be able to afford living? And, you know, we got all these worries going on in our head. And they're understandable. And worrying about that doesn't help you figure out today, what is something I can do today to give me a little more peace? I describe a situation in my newest book about... Um, Listening for that place within, because again, I believe as a believer that we really led by a spirit within it. Some of us call it hunches or gut feelings or red flags. I think those things are really spirit led. And if we can quiet ourselves down and slow ourselves down enough to really listen, it's amazing how those just kind of come out of us. So I was talking to a woman who was fairly new to the journey and she was really hurting and mad and sad and the whole nine yards. And she goes, I just don't know what to do next. You know, tell me what to do next. And I, 
And I'm like, well, one of the things I want to help you do is figure out, you know, to listen to this part of yourself that's kind of directing you to your next best step because my next best one may not be the right one for you. So I want to be careful about directing you in that way. I, I said, you know, what's going on that's creating so much distress for you right now. She goes, well, you know, I not only have my job and our three kids, but I'm helping my husband with his work too. And, you know, and now I find out he's done all this stuff and you know, I don't want to do his work anymore. She just came out with her next best step. I said, well, what, what do you think that could mean for you? She goes, I think I'm going to quit. He can find somebody else to do that. And I go, well, maybe that's your next best step. So I talked to her a week later. I go, well, how, how are things going this week? She goes, I feel wonderful this week, and I'm so calm and have a lot of hope. I go, well, what happened between last week and this week? She goes, well, I told my husband I wasn't doing that work anymore, and he had to go find somebody else, and I feel so much relief. And I'm like, well, I just want to point out this is what it means to you to follow your next right step. It was just a perfect scenario. Beautiful. And, and that's the kind of thing um, I work on with folks to help them figure out what's disturbing my peace. And I'll tell you, I do it for myself all the time as well, because we're human beings. It's hard not to get connected to our future tripping. Um, and when we can do our next right step, we slowly, slowly start walking out of things that have been very, very hard. Mm. And we empower ourselves to know this is the part I can control. Yeah. I can make decisions for myself about next right steps. So, mm. well, I love that. And I love the question, what disturbs your peace right yeah. now? And using <laughs> that, ah, oh, what a great yeah. thing to hold on to in a guidepost yeah. and your Maybe next that should step. Be a book title for my next book. Huh? Right? <laughs> yeah. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So Debbie, I so appreciate this and just the hope that you give and the, and the focus of no, no, anyone can heal. <laughs> You can heal. And the more shattered you feel, the more potential for growth you have. I think that's so great. Yes. So Debbie, I know that you have a freebie that you want to offer all of our listeners. So can you tell us about that? And then also like if people are like, oh, I want to, I want to get a hold of Debbie. Like how can they, how can people connect with you? Well, um, our website, if those, if any of you haven't visited is faithful and spelled out A-N-D true.com. Um, we have many of our resources listed there, including our workshops, which are a really valuable piece that um, Mark and I have developed over many, many years to provide three-day intensives for people that want to come here from out of town or even out of the country to get some really good jump start to um, a program. Uh, but also our podcasts are there, which uh, I think have been very helpful Um Mark started this way back when the word podcast wasn't even being used. Um, back in 2012, <laughs> I think we called it our website radio program or something like that. Um, but we've continued that even after his death. And we have wonderful leadership there. And all of the clinicians in our office here participate in talking about really meaningful things. Um, but also, I wanted to share with you that um, Mark and I wrote a book called The Toolkit for Growth, and in there are about 10 chapters, I believe, um, very practical, as we call them, interventions that we use with uh, individuals and couples going through sexual addiction in their relationship 
there's a, a last chapter in that book called Vision, How to Create Vision for Yourself and or Your Relationship. And again, I'm a very practical person, so it's a very practical chapter on some specific things to do on this really big word about passion and vision. Sometimes when we throw that out, it's so big, we don't even know where to start. So this chapter will help you look at just increments of creating vision and um, talk with you about how to create a vision statement and then look at goal setting and how to follow through on that so that you can begin to be proactive at creating the life you want. Mm. And I love thinking about that. When we claim that we can create the life we want, regardless of what someone else has done in our life, even betrayed us, we can find so much help in healing and well-being for moving forward. It doesn't always mean that our marriage is saved, and that doesn't mean that we don't have to live without thriving. So for any of you that would like that, um, I just want to offer you that. We'll send out a PDF of that chapter for free to you. And if you would email um, our marketing director, Randy Everett, at everett spelled E V. E-R-T at faithfulandtrue.com. He will send out that PDF for you. Debbie, thank you so much. This has been so valuable, and I am sure that people are going to take a lot of hope out of it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And have and a wonderful what day. I'd love for everybody to have. Thank you so much, Tammy. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Faithful and True podcast. We trust that you uh, benefited greatly from Debbie Laser's conversation with Tammy Gustafson from Betrayal Healing uh, and the Betrayal Healing Conference of 2022. Coming up in April, you're going to want to make sure that you register to take part in the Betrayal Healing Conference 2023, which will be April 10th through the 14th. And we're proud to announce that four of the team members from Faithful and True will be presenting at this conference. Once again, Debbie Laser, our director, together with Greg Miller, who is our director of workshops here at Faithful and True, and also Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty, who are two of our talented uh, therapists from the Faithful and True counseling team. Uh, that's coming up April 10th through the 14th. And registration can be found in the description below. Click on the link and that will bring you to registration for this great upcoming event, uh, the Betrayal Healing Conference 2023. Until then, we hope that this coming week for you is going to be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. <music>